All right, hello, hello. We are going backwards in time through my Facebook saved list. Uh, I wish I had one of those voice changers. Like when I was a little kid, I used to watch the Muppet Show, like the original Muppet Show. And then they had a, uh, a segment called Pigs in Space. They were like, pigs in space. And then they have like the effects on the voice. I need to get a, a, a voice changer like that. Just something to kind of spruce things up. But anyway, uh, got a few more articles here. There were a couple articles that I saw that I was going to do and I skipped over them. One was an interview with Garrett Morris. And uh, Garrett Morris, you know, he's been around for decades and decades as a writer, as a performer, as a singer. You know, he's on stage. He's, he's done it all. He's in his mid-80s now, I think. And um, Hollywood Reporter had an article on him. And I didn't get a chance to read the whole article. So I figure, nah, I'm not going to bother with it. And then my niece had posted something. And it was like 33 questions that white people have for other white people. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to get in trouble in the second episode <laughs> of the show. So I'm going to leave that alone. So we're going to start with something uh, a little bit more, uh, I guess, political. But this is from Yahoo News. Uh, and the article is actually from Business Insider, but it's posted through Yahoo News. And it says a worker in Florida applied to 60 entry-level jobs in September and got one interview. So this is from the article itself. Joey Holtz recalled first hearing complaints about labor shortages last year when he called to donate uh, plasma at a clinic near Fort Myers, Florida. The guy went on his uh, on this rant about how he can't find help and he can't keep anybody in his medical facility because they all quit over the stimulus checks. Uh, Holtz told uh, the insider, and he said, "I'm like, your medical professionals quit over $1,200 checks." That's weird. It says over the next several months, he watched as a growing chorus of businesses said they couldn't find anyone to hire because of government stimulus money. It was so ubiquitous that he joined a no one wants to work Facebook group where users made memes deriding frustrated employers. So he said he found it hard to believe that government money was keeping people out of the labor force, especially when the end of experience the expanded federal unemployment benefits did not seem to trigger a surge in employment. The expanded benefits ended in September, but 26 states ended them early in June and July. So he said if this extra money was every everyone supposedly living off of stopped in June and now it's September, obviously that's not what's stopping them, he said. Workers have said companies struggling to hire aren't offering competitive pay and benefits. So Holtz, a former food service worker and charter boat crewman, decided to run an experiment. On September 1st, he sent job applications to a pair of restaurants that had been particularly public about their staffing challenges. Then he widened the test and spent the remainder of the month applying to jobs, mostly at employers, vocal about a lack of workers and tracking his journey in a spreadsheet. Two weeks and 28 applications later, he had just nine email responses, one follow-up phone call, and one interview with a construction company that advertised a full-time job focused on site cleanup, paying $10 an hour. But Holt said the construction company instead tried to offer Florida's minimum wage of $8.65 to start, 
even though the wage was scheduled to increase to $10 an hour on September 30th. He added that it wanted full-time availability while scheduling only part-time until the whole gained seniority. Now, I will say this. I'm, uh, I'm a middle-aged man, and I grew up in New York, and when I was a kid, I worked construction uh, with my dad. My dad got me a started as a summer job, and I spent a little bit of time in the union and, you know, uh, when I got older. So as a kid back in the, the late 80s, they started me at uh, $8.50 an hour, which to a 15-year-old was like a million dollars, okay? And then uh, when I got older and I was able to join the union, they started me at $20 an hour. Now, $20 an hour is kind of base, Depending on what borough I worked in in New York, it could go up. So some uh, some boroughs, I'd make like $22. Some I'd make, you know, $21. And you figure I was laborers or like bottom of the barrel. We wouldn't say totally unskilled, but anybody could start as a laborer. That's more like entry level. And there were some people who were carpenters, timbermen, masons, stuff like that. But I was a, a laborer, you know. I got my pick, I got my shovel, you know, I drive this, the smaller the smaller vehicles, stuff like that. So I remember when I moved to Maryland, uh, I had stopped working construction because I got hurt. When I lived in Maryland, after I moved out of New York, you know, I felt my back healed up enough. I said, well, let me see what construction jobs are out there, right? I've done that before. Man those jobs are going for $10 an hour. The same exact work I was doing for $20 an hour in New York. They wanted $10 an hour in Maryland because Maryland didn't have, they don't have unions out there, you know? So the whole point of the article was that all these people bitching about nobody wants to work uh, is because your jobs are shit. Most jobs in the U.S. are shit. Let's just be, let's just be real, Okay. Unless you're a hedge fund manager or you work at the fireworks and puppy dog store, uh, your job is probably shit. Very few people get to be in the profession that they really wanted. And those that are, it becomes a case of be careful what you wish for. Or in this case, be careful what you work for. I, I've known people who became teachers and they were inspired by having great teachers. You know, but... Uh, in this day and age, being a teacher is just a thankless job because basically they don't pay teachers enough and teachers do way too much work. They bring their whole work home with them. They work on weekends. They work after hours. If you got to call in sick, you got to make a whole lesson plan. You almost have to plan on being sick. You can't just have a cold and just call in sick. Now, there's a, you may as well just go to work sick if that's the case. You know, so if you're working a job, let's just say I'm just going to pick a, a really shitty restaurant off the top of my head. Let's just call it Arby's. So you're working at Arby's for like nine dollars an hour, you know, selling uh, grade F meat to people and passing it off as roast beef. Right. You're working long hours. You're I mean, even McDonald's had this whole thing where if McDonald's wasn't doing if the McDonald's wasn't doing good business, because someone sued over it, I remember. And they tried to sue the parent company because I know they usually have these, uh, you know, the, the franchises to kind of shield their liability. But I think that software came from corporate. So people tried to uh, they tried to sue. I don't know how successful the lawsuit was, but.
But if let's say that they have slow business, right? They will just send people home. If they send people home, these are hourly workers. So if they send people home, they don't get paid. So if you're supposed to be working a eight hour shift and it's slow and then they say, well, you and you can go home and you only work six hours, you're losing two hours of pay. You know, I mean, people who work at Amazon all the time, I'm tipping these drivers when they deliver my groceries and I come to find out, I mean, granted, they won a lawsuit over it, but I find out that my tips are supposed to be going to these drivers. They're basically stealing my tips and using it to supplement their income because they were mad because now they got to pay these people 15 bucks an hour. So now they're just finding ways to supplement it so Jeff Bezos can go to outer space. And it's absolutely crazy, the job market in the United States. When Obama was president, yeah, there were a lot of jobs that were created under his watch, but a lot of those jobs were just shitty, low-paying jobs. Half the country lives paycheck to paycheck. What is the median uh, salary in this country? Like $35,000, $30,000 or something like that? So it's absolutely, it's absolute insanity that if you can give somebody 1200 bucks, they're just going to be like, well, I'll just hold out and I'm going to try and look for a better job with better pay and better, uh, you know, just better everything. <laughs> so the whole notion of uh, people don't want to work. No, it's people don't want to work for, you know, the average person spends more time at work than they do at home. So if you're going to spend time, like most of your life, working a job that you hate, you know, and you have an option to find another job, why wouldn't you do that? Even if it's only 1200 bucks, that's going to give you the opportunity to do that. So people will say, well, you know, 1200 bucks, that's a month's rent. So now I have time to try and find something else. You know, they're like, fuck this bullshit job. Now, I just happen to like my job and I like the company I work for. So I'm lucky in that regard. But a lot of people are not lucky, not in the least. So now people are starting to offer, you know, better jobs. And there was a um, a story. I couldn't find the article. I had saved it. But, you know, this article's time out after a while. I, I want to say it was in Philadelphia. It was an ice cream shop. And they raised their hourly rate to $15 an hour. And they had gotten, I think in a month, they got over a thousand applications. So they stopped counting at a thousand, you know? So it's not that people don't want to work. People don't want to work for shit wages. Why would you work for a company where the CEO makes like $25 million a year and then they're only paying $9 an hour? When you have other choices out there, when those other choices present themselves. So all these people who are saying, oh, nobody wants to work. No, they just don't want to work for you because you fucking suck and your job sucks and the pay sucks. So. But. Uh, moving on. Let's talk about Billy Joel, the piano man. Sing us a song, the piano man. I guess that's how it goes. I don't know. But um, there was a meme that was going around about Billy Joel that came across my feed, and I saved it because I wanted to fact check it. And 
I fact check memes sometimes because I've been burned by posting memes that ended up not being true. So I try to, when I get memes, I try and fact check them and just to see if they're true. And sometimes I get lucky and uh, it'll already be fact checked for me. So instead of me having to dig through all these websites and stuff, sometimes Snopes will just come out and say, hey, I got you, son. Here's all the information you need. So the title of this article is, Does Billy Joel Give Away Front Row Seats for His Concerts Rather Than Sell Them? Okay. So the meme was basically, um, here's the text from the meme that I got. Um, Aside from wanting to beat the scalpers, Billy Joel got tired of all the bored rich people staring up at him. So now he sends his road crew out to bring down the fans from the worst seats so there'll be people in the front row that are happy to be there, the real fans, right? So they're saying that he doesn't sell tickets to the first few rows of his shows, and he has his crew bring people down. And then they asked, hey, is this true or is this not true? Snopes put this as mostly true. So they said, what's true? Billy Joel has repeatedly outlined a longstanding policy of preferring to hold seats in the first few rows of his concerts and give them to ardent fans rather than selling them to what he has presented as wealthy and disinterested socialites. Fans have corroborated this policy in online testimony. Now, what's undetermined, the reason why it got mostly true, it's not clear to what extent Billy Joel has personal control over the sale of front row tickets or what role specific commercial or contractual arrangements might have for certain concerts or tours. So he doesn't always have the ability to save those seats, depending on the venues that he plays. Okay. Now they said, uh, and let me go down. I think they had a, uh, an excerpt from an article. Okay. So, um, Okay, here it is. A reporter from the bill from the Billboard Music Industry trade publication put it to Joel uh, that a pretty chill vibe held sway backstage at his live shows. To which Billy Joel responded. He said, "These guys are all road dogs, all veterans. They've been doing it for years and years. They work for everybody. There's a good spirit on this tour, and good morale is really important." He says, "We never sell front rows. We hold those tickets at just about every concert." For years, the scalpers got the tickets and would scalp the front row for ridiculous amounts of money. Our tickets are cheap, under $100, some in the 80s, highest about 150 He said, I'd look down and see rich people sitting there. I call them gold chainers, sitting there puffing on a cigar. They're looking up at me like, entertain me, piano man. He said, they don't stand up. They don't make noise. They just sit there with their bouffant-haired girlfriends looking like a big shot. So I got kind of sick of that. Who the hell are these people? Where are the real fans? It turns out the real fans are always in the back of the room in the worst seats. So we now hold those tickets and I send my road crew out to the back of the room where the audience comes in and they get people from the worst seats and bring them to the front rows. This way you've got people in the front row that are actually happy to be there, the real fans. So that's from Billy Joel himself an article from uh, from Billboard, okay? So 
yes, Billy Joel does do that, but he doesn't always have the ability to do that depending on the venue that he plays. So that's why Snopes put that as mostly true. I think that's cool as hell. I do. Because not, I mean, yes, I'm anti-rich people, but I'm more anti-rich people who don't pay their taxes or who look down on others. And I can imagine Billy Joel more as like the salt of the earth guy looking down, seeing some rich jag off and his trophy wife, you know, like entertain me monkey, you know, or something like that. And he's just like, man, fuck this dude. Where's the real fans? Where's the people who really enjoy my music and just don't see it as a status symbol that I went to a Billy Joel concert, you know? And I like Billy Joel's music. I grew up with it. You know, and uh, I don't know. I wouldn't mind going to a Billy Joel concert and look at the ticket prices. They're kind of affordable, you know. So uh, I don't know how much Billy Joel's going to be performing. I mean, I know he's up there in age, but, you know, it'd be nice. And maybe I may get lucky. Maybe I may be in the back row with his road crew. Come, up, like, come on, man. I got a nice seat for your front so you could see the piano man up close. So good on Billy Joel for doing that. And I hope he gets to do it more often than not. And thank you, Snopes, for doing my work for me. All right, what else do we have here? All right, I got an article from Forbes. And the article says, infrastructure package includes vehicle mileage tax program. This is from August of 2021. Now, I will say this, okay? The infrastructure package had just passed recently and Joe Biden's going to sign it. That package is the giveaway to corporations, you know? I'll talk I'll talk about that on the uh on the Sunday show on um on 360 degrees uh but yeah, that that whole thing just kind of pissed me off, but that's another matter for another day. I just want to concentrate on this article. So, uh the new $1 trillion infrastructure package will include a vehicle mileage tax program. This is from Forbes. Uh, the U.S. Senate passed President Joe Biden's infrastructure bill with bipartisan support from 19 Republicans, including Mitch McConnell. Buried in the 2,700-page infrastructure package is a pilot program for a vehicle mileage tax. Here's how it, here's how it works and what it could mean for your wallet. So they said a vehicle mileage tax or vehicle miles traveled fee would charge motorists a fee based on how many miles they drive. Simply put, if you drive a vehicle, you would pay money to the government for every mile you drive. The time period can vary, but it's typically a vehicle miles travel. Uh, but typically a vehicle miles travel fee is measured in, in a one year period. A vehicle mileage travel fee can be used to raise revenue for transportation and infrastructure projects. Okay, so the infrastructure bill includes 125 million to fund pilot programs to test a national vehicle miles traveled fee. Okay, I don't know if Forbes wrote this article to make people hate the bill or to make people be careful of the bill. I don't know what their motivation was in talking about this one thing. Okay, but here's here's the thing. Okay. If you live in North Carolina, North Carolina has what they call a reinsurance fund, okay? So basically, when you pay your uh, insurance premiums in North Carolina, you are, a portion of your money is going to the North Carolina reinsurance fund. 
And that money is used to fund people who are high-risk drivers. Because if I'm correct, North Carolina, they have a rule where they have to give you liability insurance no matter your driving status. Okay. So if you're in the so if you're uh in the country, you know, from another country and all you have is your Mexican or Canadian driver's license, you know, they still got to give you liability coverage, but since no insurance company is going to insure somebody without a uh, a regular license, you go under the reinsurance fund. So yes, you'll be paying more in the reinsurance fund, but it helps keep rates for everybody else low. Or if you got DUIs, that's where they'll put you, okay? So you're going to be paying more for that. And you will stay under your... Now, I don't know how it works now, but you would stay under your insurance company, but you'd be brokered through the state. So basically, let's say you had insurance and you had, say, eight terms at your insurance company, and then something happens and you have to go... Let's say you get into, like, three at-fault accidents in a year and you get you know, you get dropped, they put you in reinsurance. Now, most people don't know about the reinsurance fund because it's not on your bill. They just take a portion of your, uh, your premiums and it goes to the state. So it's not itemized on your bill, depending on your insurance company, you know, and that happens in, in North, that's a North Carolina thing. South Carolina has a tax that they take from you every year on you do your insurance that goes to their highway fund. New York has a has a, a tax, not a tax, but a fee that they take every year from you. And it goes to the cops because the cops don't get enough money in New York. I mean, it's not like their budget is over a billion dollars. So why do they need to just nickel and dime people? Every, you know, that's New York. California, they actually take... Uh, Odometer readings from people, right? So let's say you drive in California and you are at, you drive about 16,000 miles a year and now you're working from home, you're only driving 8,000 miles a year. Most people turn in what they're, uh, like they do emissions tests in California and when they do that, they put down your odometer readings. So most people send that as proof that you're driving less and it actually lowers your insurance bill. So depending on the states you live in, I'm pretty sure other states do similar things. Those are just the states that I know of. Um, that's already been happening. But this would be a national tax to pay for this infrastructure bill. This is the part of the bill that is a giveaway. Because here's the thing. All this should be going in through the government, right? But instead, it's going to these private companies. So think about think about the busiest street in your town. No, it doesn't matter how big your town or your city is. Think about the busiest street. I live in Cary, North Carolina. So for me, that would probably be Maynard. Maynard runs a, a circle around Cary, right? Matter of fact, uh, Maynard is not too far from where I am now. Like from my apartment, I could walk to, to Maynard, right? It runs around the town. So let's just say that, let's just imagine that I had to pay a toll of 50 cents every time I had to cross Maynard. That's kind of what we're looking at here, but it, I guess this is a, a, a more general way of doing it. I don't know how they're going to do this for, you know, you know, city to city, state to state, but they're looking into a pilot program for that. Now, I will say this. Um, 
if you have Republicans that come over and in mass like that, like, you know, 12, 13, 14 Republicans that come over, uh, they're breaking from their party and just working for their donors because all those Republicans who came over in the House and voted for that and voted for the infrastructure bill, they're already being torched, torched by other people in their party. So I thought it was, and, and maybe it's just a smokescreen. Maybe they're just doing it just as a smokescreen to just say, you know, uh, these guys are traitors. And then they're like, you're doing exactly what we wanted you to do because our donors want this, you know, that's probably what it is. I mean, the Republicans, they seem to be all about chaos, but they're a lot more coordinated than we give them credit for, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird how people get away with this sort of thing. Like, we're in this whole culture war bullshit. Like, we're all worried about what Dave Chappelle says. Republicans are worried about Mr. Potato Head's genitals or Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's swollen nutsack. And right now, all these bills are being passed that are corporate giveaways, and nobody is saying shit. No one says anything. You know when they're going to say something? They're going to say something when that tax gets levied against them. And then they're going to be like, you know what? Screw you, Joe Biden. And they'd be right to say that. But what they should have done is they should have looked over the bill and seen all the stuff in the bill and said, hey, Joe Biden, if you pass this, neither you or anybody who supports you is going to be in office in their next term. That's what should have happened. But it didn't happen because everybody is worried about bullshit. Everybody's worried about bullshit in one way or another. The Republican bullshit is just real bullshit, though. (laughs) It's stuff that does not matter. So this is what we get and this is what we deserve. It really is. So... Well, I'll, I'll, we'll see how this plays out. Like once the bill goes, once Biden signs the bill, then only then will uh, CNN and MSNBC, you know, tell us what's in it. Or you could just read it. I mean, you could pretty much pull it up on, I want to say, Senate.gov or House.gov. And, you know, you can read all these bills. Like you can pretty much look on Senate.gov or House.gov and look at all the bills they're trying to pass, and you could read the actual bills. So nothing that they do is really hidden. Nothing that they do is really all that secret. You can look on this stuff and check on it. Hey, if you want, if you can if you can take the time to look up Kylie Jenner's cup size. You can take the time to find out what's in this bill. So there's really not that much of an excuse for it. And that's something where people noticed it before, then they could have come out and just, you know, organized against it to say, hey, you know, this bill should be run through the government. It shouldn't be a corporate giveaway because we all know what corporations are all about. But no, 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 no. We just got to worry about what Dave Chappelle says. We got to worry about Big Bird uh, trying to get kids immunized. And that's the most important thing. Not this tax that's going to be levied against drivers across the country. 
So uh, I don't drive a car. So that's something for my Uber driver to be concerned with. Not me. Okay. It will be me because once he gets that tax, my rates are going to go up. So I guess we all, we all get it. We're all going to get shipped in the kidneys one way or another. So. I decided to try and save the fun thing for last, but what's not going to be fun, this is a website called Stacker, and it's just laden with ads that take over the entire thing, and it's a pain in the ass, like, just waiting for the rest of my stuff to render. I already had to, you know, it just the ad just takes over, and then I have to go back to the original ad and scroll all the way down. This is the top 100 worst action movies of all time. Okay, I'm not going to do all 100. That would be boring. I'm going to do the top 30. Okay, I'll let you know what I've seen, what I haven't seen, and I'll let you know a little bit about it. And I may have to pause here and there just because of this stupid ass website and their stupid ass ads. So let's get started just before before this thing conks out on me. Okay, number 30 is Kangaroo Jack. So it's basically about a giant kangaroo and who just punches people. I've seen bits and pieces of it on cable. It definitely deserves to be on the list. Uh, Vice with Bruce Willis is number 29. Never seen it. Bruce Willis has been doing some horrible, terrible movies. And I'm just... I'm just sad for the man because I love Bruce Willis. Still do, but... mm. Mod Squad, 1999, is number 28 on the list. Once again, never saw it. I know Mod Squad was an old TV show, so this was to be like the 90s reboot. They had a lot of 90s reboots of a lot of movies that just flat out sucked. Uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 was number 27. I never watched Paul Blart. I mean, eh. The movies just look stupid, and I just never even gave it the time of day. So, uh, number 26 is a movie called Jiu-Jitsu. And I'm like, oh, God. Now, Tony Ja is amazing. He's an amazing martial artist. He does these amazing action movies. I think he's from Thailand or something like that, or Indonesia or somewhere like that. If you ever get a chance, watch The Protector. With Tony Ja and then Ong Bak is another one of his, his earlier movies that are really good. Uh, but him and, and Nicolas Cage in a movie together, yeah. I know Nicolas Cage had tax troubles. He's trying to pay off all this other stuff, but Jesus Christ, there's no way I could I could ever watch Nicolas Cage in a, a movie called Jiu-Jitsu. That's just gonna be a bad time for all. Assassin's Bullet is number 25, and oh my God, is that Christian Slater? Next, Jesus Christ, Ballistic, X versus Sever, Antonio Banderas, and Lucy Liu. This should have been the action movie of the century. This movie was pure dog shit. I watched the entire thing when it came out because I'm like, okay, it's Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu. Something good has to happen. And here's the thing, nothing good ever happened. Jesus, uh, Hulk Hogan as Mr. Nanny in uh, 1993's Mr. Nandy. You know, 
when I was a little kid, I was a Hulkamaniac. I said my prayers and ate my vitamins. And as I got older, I began to slowly despise Hulk Hogan. Not even the racism, just the buffoonery of Hulk Hogan. And it made me sad as a kid that I, I, that I liked Hulk Hogan as a wrestler because he's a horrible, terrible wrestler. He's basically, his moveset is punch, kick, choke, and then special choke with t-shirt. And that's basically it. And his movies were always god-awful. So it wasn't like The Rock where he had like that one bad movie he was in, or at least that one bad part where he was a Scorpion King and then the Scorpion King movie, which was also terrible. And then it just went uphill from there for The Rock. Nope. All Hulk Hogan's movies are shitty, just like Hulk Hogan. Uh, Fair Game from 1995 is number 22. Who the hell is in this movie? Oh, my God. Cindy Crawford. In an action movie. Yeah, okay. We're just going to pass on this. Lawnmower Man 2. Beyond Cyberspace. Holy Jesus. You know, I don't remember if... Yeah. Uh, I read Lawnmower Man. It was a short story, and it's basically not... I don't remember have, having anything to do with cyberspace or all that other goofy shit. And they made a sequel to a movie that was already terrible, which is just basically it just doesn't really make any damn sense. So next, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. You know, video game movies are usually terrible. Usually terrible. And this movie, like the Street Fighter movie with Van Damme and all of them in it, it was in and Raul Julia. And unfortunately, it was Raul Julia's last movie before he died of cancer. And the only reason why he did the movie is because his uh, his kids, I don't know if it was his kids or his grandkids, loved Street Fighter. That's the only reason why he did the movie, you know. And uh, at least that movie was kind of fun. And it had its moments. It was a stupid movie, but it was still a fun movie. And that's kind of the thing that can make a bad action movie enjoyable, as if it's fun. And... I, I saw, I tried to watch Legend of Chun-Li, you know, like when it came out and it was not fun. Not at all. Delta Farce is basically, I get, oh God. Yeah. Uh, you figure a movie with Larry the Cable Guy, Bill Engvall and DJ Qualls. And it's like a, uh, a, a parody of, of war stuff. And it's just like. Yeah, you know it's going to be dog shit. In the name of the king, uh, a dungeon siege tale. Uh, U.A. Bowl, right? He basically, uh, he takes all these movies and he just makes all these terrible movies because in Germany, there's some sort of loophole where if your movie loses money, you get like tax breaks. And then when people say his movies are bad, he'll actually challenge uh, critics to a boxing match, and then some of them actually show up, and then UA Bowl beats them up. Like, I, you can't even make this shit up. I remember he tried to get the rights to World of Warcraft, and Blizzard told him to eat a dick, you know? And yet, I mean, he's made... I mean, I'm pretty sure... I'm not going to bother naming some of the movies, because I'm pretty sure they're going to show up on the list. <laughs> Crossover. Oh, my God. A basketball action movie? Oh my God! Uh, 
And Anthony Mackie was in this? When did this come out? 2006? Okay, I forgive you. I'll forgive Anthony Mackie for being in a terrible-looking movie from, like, uh, 15 years ago. Last Days of American Crime. This came out in 2020. This is recent. Who's in this? Uh... Oh, my God. Even the little paragraph didn't even say who was in it. That's how terrible this movie is. The Omega Code from 1999. Never heard of it. Uh, oh, Jesus. Hold on. Hold on. This is, the, this is the description of the movie. Produced by a fundamentalist Christian network, the Omega Code is about a rabbi who develops software that can decipher all the prophecies in the Torah which falls into the hands of the Antichrist. Oh, really? It was made by a fundamentalist Christian network? I would never have guessed by that description. Dungeons and Dragons from 2000. Yes, I saw this movie because I love Dungeons and Dragons. I grew up on it. Holy shit, this movie was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Marlon Wayans played like some sort of elf. Oh, it was, ugh. It was god awful. And I forgot who played the. Oh, Jeremy Irons played the villain. At least he looked like he was having fun. Like, yeah, I know this movie's a piece of shit, so I'm just going to have as much fun as possible. I'm going to hand this shit up Donald Sutherland style. <laughs> Not Donald Sutherland. Donald Pleasant, sorry. Uh, you know, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. I will say the only thing about this movie, you know, this is an Eddie Murphy movie, is that, I mean, Rosario Dawson has always been gorgeous to me. That that's That's my secret girlfriend. Uh, restraining order to be damned. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But she was, I don't know why, but for some reason, she was extra gorgeous in this movie. And it's the only reason why I watched this movie until the end is because Rosario Dawson is in it. And I will say this, as much as I love Rosario Dawson, I've watched some pretty shitty movies because she was in it. <laughs> the Avengers, not those Avengers, but the old 1960s TV show, which they did a reboot of in 1998. Uma Thurman was in it, I believe. And I tried to watch it, and it was so boring. Boring as shit. Uh, Bruce Willis in 10 Minutes Gone, which is number 11. I swear to Jesus, if Bruce Willis is another... Does he owe money to the mob? Is that why he keeps making these terrible movies? Come on, Bruce. You're better than this. Mortal Kombat Annihilation is number 10. I thought it would be later in the list because Mortal Kombat Annihilation was such a horrible sequel. It's almost like they were just, it's, it's like they ran out of money halfway through. And maybe the director had like he, he, like he overdosed on opiates or something. And it was, the movie is just an absolute mess. You know, uh, Blood Rain. Blood Rain was a halfway decent video game about like some vampire chick with blades who fights Nazis or some dumb shit. I don't know. But um, like I said, halfway decent game. Once again, Yui Bowl did this movie. And uh, it was absolutely terrible. You know, uh, I remember watching, um, God, what was it? Not Miami Connection. Uh, Samurai Cop which I'm surprised I didn't see on the list in in this, uh, you know, in the top 30. And one of the reasons why Samurai Cop, why the dialogue was always so terrible is because the director would not let them do second takes. 
So they did a take. They was like, all right, good. On to the next scene. <laughs> and they were like, I could do this again. I could do it better. Read. And they're like, nope, 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 nope. Next scene. That's how Yui, that's how Yui Bold seems to do his movies. Like everything in one take, go on to the next thing. Uh, Rollerball from 2002. Never saw it. And it, it kind of looks like roller derby, but they got motorcycles and they're, they're riding on the plexiglass. And it looks like the action may actually be decent. Oh, okay. This is 2002. Yeah, there was an old 1970s movie called Rollerball. So, yeah. And this one has Chris Klein, L. Cool J, and Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Mm. So, according to the little article here, they had a $70 million budget and it only grossed $25 million. Just looking at some of these scenes. I could probably see why. Andron, 2015. What the hell is this? Set in the year 2145, Andron sees a group of people waking up in a dark, creepy maze, which only one of them can escape while the world looks on. <sighs> yeah, it just sounds like it's been done before. Ooh, Left Behind with Nicolas Cage. Uh, I think this was a remake of... You know, it's the old prophecy that, you know, all the good people will just get teleported to heaven and all the bad people stay on earth to just fight and squabble until the until Satan shows up and Jesus makes a guest appearance or some dumb shit. I don't know. I haven't I've never really read the Bible. So but I mean, Nicolas Cage, I've seen some critics go over this movie. I've never actually watched the movie, but I've seen like critics review it. And Nicolas Cage. He always. Like when he did that horrible remake of uh, what was it, The Wicker Man? He was still putting his goofy Nicolas Cage spin on it. In this movie, he's just like, he just looks like he like every scene he does, he's just like, okay, let me finish this so I can still catch a check cashing place before they close. You know, I think if Nicolas Cage was more Nicolas Cage, it might have made the movie somewhat entertaining because everybody else in it sucked, but. Yeah, even Nicolas Cage was like, I'm just doing this because I owe I owe taxes. So I just got to make some money somehow. Now, he actually has been in some pretty good movies lately. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to check out some of his newer stuff. But this was just, ugh. Simon Says with Dennis Rodman. Let me put it like this. Dennis Rodman was in a movie called Double Team. With Jean-Claude Van Damme. He was not bad in that movie. He really wasn't. You know. and But then somebody said. Hey let's just let him star. In an in a action movie. Which was a terrible idea. Absolutely terrible idea. <laughs> it was like the same people. Who thought that Gina Davis. Could be an action star. You know. Uh, number four, Future World from 2018. Never seen it. James Franco was a director. I wonder how many women got harassed while they were on set. Um, oh, here we go. House of the Dead, 2003. U.A. House of the Dead is a rail shooter from like the 90s, I think. So basically it's in a rail shooter. It's just basically like in the arcade, you had your, your gun. And then zombies come out and you shoot the zombies on the screen. So it's like Duck Hunt, but with zombies. 
and they decided to make a movie out of it. And it was god awful. The action was god awful because you know the Matrix had come out a few years earlier, so everybody was doing the the action scene where they jump in the air and then they they do the the, the and they spin and they just to shoot people with a shotgun. Fucking god awful. You know what? Give me the boxing gloves. I'll fight you, Ebola, with this movie. Uh, number two, which I thought would be number one, was Battlefield Earth um, from 2000 with John Travolta. John Travolta is a Scientologist, and Battlefield Earth was a book from L. Ron Hubbard. So that was his passion project. He really wanted to make this into a, a movie because he thought it would be like bigger than Star Wars. You know what? This movie... The Room, Troll 2, those are movies you watch because they're horrible, but they're not horrible for horrible sake. These people really tried. You know, as, as a society, as Americans, we love to watch people try. Like, this is a passion project for John Travolta. And he really tried. He really put his all into it. And it sucked. And the only reason why we're watching it, because we just enjoy watching him fail trying to bring L. Ron Hubbard, the world's greatest huckster, next to Donald Trump, the guy who wrote Dianetics, the guy who made a religion for rich people, as like a, in, in video games, you know what we call it? We call it a, a, a cash sink. So if you have like, if you're able to farm tons of gold and, or, or video game money and have nowhere to spend it, and then you just buy expensive in-game garbage that doesn't do anything, like that's basically what the, what Scientology is. It's a cash sink for rich douchebags. Because I don't know that many poor people who are in Scientology. I can't, I, I, my thetan level is not that high, which means that I don't have any money. I'm not rich enough to be a Scientologist. And to watch this movie fail, and I watched it. It's god awful. It deserves to be top five on this list. It should have been number one. But now I can kind of figure what number one is going to be. Let me see if I'm right. Yep, I'm right. <laughs> if Battlefield Earth wasn't number one, Alone in the Dark was going to be number one. Yui Bowl again. So you figure you got Christian Slater, who's been washed up for years, right? And then Tara Reed. <laughs> Tara Reed. Holy shit. Did you? I mean, I hate to, I hate to rag on Tara Reed. I mean, even though Tara Reed is a celebrity, I'm putting it in quotation marks, it still feels like I'm punching down on her. You know what I mean? Like, that's how far she's fallen as an actress. And she got some, some rejuvenation by doing the Sharknado movies, you know? But she was doing all that goofy plastic surgery, and then she had that plastic, like, they botched her boob job. So, like, one boob was going northwest, and the other one was going southeast. Like, it was just terrible. So she was in this movie along with Christian Slater. And I don't know, you know, all actors fall off sometimes. No, you know what? Not all actors. Most actors. I mean, I've seen Morgan Freeman act in some pretty shitty movies. He was in a movie with um, Ruby Rose called Vanquish. Horrible, terrible movie. Like, if this list was made... A year later, Vanquish would have been top 10 in this list. And Morgan Freeman was in it. He's been in a lot of shitty movies lately, you know? So 
But Alone in the Dark is basically another video game movie that just, you know, in name only, you know, they're they're hunting these demons and it's just terrible. Like I I I tried to watch it and I just couldn't finish it. Like it was just that terrible, you know. And UA Bowl is not really a director, he's just more of a facilitator of movies. He's like, here's a script, you read the lines, and then we we paste the action in, and then you get paid, and then the movie fails, and I get my tax breaks from Germany, and then you can fuck off. Like that's basically his whole directing style. So and out of all these movies, I would say Battlefield Earth would be good for a uh, a so bad it's good movie night. Like anything from UA Bowl, don't even bother with it at all. Do not bother with it at all. And you know what? I got some time left. I'm, I'm just curious what they have as the top, the, the bottom 10 in this list. Okay. Number 100 was Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. Uh... I think Turbo was a sequel. Came out in 97. Because I think uh, the other one might have actually been pretty good. Back Trace with Sylvester Stallone. Never saw it. Taxi with Queen Latifah and Jimmy Fallon. Ugh. I like Queen Latifah a lot. But Jimmy Fallon? Mm. Taxi paired Queen Latifah with Jimmy Fallon as a feisty cab driver and an inept cop, respectively on a mission to take down Brazilian bank robbers in New York City. It doesn't even sound good. Like, it would be good. Like, if you pitched this movie to me, I would just be like, get the fuck out of my office, you jackass. Uh, River Runs Red. I was wondering what happened to Tay Diggs. So this movie has Tay Diggs. Now, here's the thing, okay? You got Tay Diggs, George Lopez, Luke Hemsworth, uh, and then John Cusack is in it. And I'm just like, you would, I don't even know. Like George Lopez, I can't see him being like in an action movie. What is he, like 63? Like, and it's not like a Sylvester Stallone 63 where he's still cut. It's fucking George Lopez. He's an old man. I thought Tate Diggs was dead. I thought he died after, uh, what was that movie? My Best Friend's Wedding or some shit like that? Who knows? Number 96 is Solar Babies. Came out in 86. I vaguely remember this movie. I don't remember anything about it except for the roller skates. Uh, the Covenant came out in 2006. Never heard of it. Oh, my God. Number 94 is Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh, my God. Beverly Hills Cop 3 was Blade Trinity. Before there was a Blade Trinity. So you had Blade, which was a classic. And then you had Blade 2, which was even a step above that. And then you had Blade Trinity, which was pure dog shit. Beverly Hills Cop, same thing. Beverly Hills Cop, classic. Beverly Hills Cop 2, ups the ante. Great movie. And then you have Beverly Hills Cop 3. which was And, and the worst part was... John Landis directed this. And John Landis is a great director. And this was just a cash grab. It really was. I don't know what Eddie Murphy was thinking. I don't know what John Landis was thinking. But this movie was just not it. King Kong Lives from 1986. 
who the hell is that? Is that, you know, except for, I mean, I will say this, Godzilla versus Kong was actually a pretty good movie. And basically, like, I'm talking about the one that came out on HBO Max recently. It's a great movie. So long as you uh, keep in mind one simple rule. Every, whenever somebody does something, don't think about why they're doing it. Because if you try to think about why the people in the movie are doing these incredibly stupid things, you will hate the movie. Now, the fights in the movie are top-notch. But everything else, garbage. A lot of these King Kong movies that have come out like in the, the 70s and 80s were just god-awful. And King Kong Lives, I remember, I think I seen it on cable. It was just... Mm, Cold Blood. Who the hell is this? This movie. Oh, Gene Reno. The, uh... Not the professional. Is that Was that who he was? I like Gene Reno, but supposedly this movie wasn't... I never saw it. Uh, number 91 was Redemption Day. Who the hell is this? Gary Dordan. Oh, I thought he looked familiar. Oh, this came out in 2021. Ugh. I know he's been through some hard times, and I'm glad he's back doing a movie, but according to the IMDb score, uh, maybe he should have waited for a different script. Uh, and last but not least, The Cold Light of Day was number 90 with Bruce Willis. Once again, welcome back to the list, Bruce. Jesus Christ, man. You know what? If you owe the mob money, next time just let the mob kill you. Stop doing these movies. Just take the L. <laughs> so all right we're gonna end it here you know i i should have that segment old man rants it lists full of crap <laughs> so all right everybody have a good night and i'll see you next time